0: Welcome to Account-Based Marketing. This podcast is designed as a collection of conversations with sales and marketing leaders sharing thoughts and practical tips for growing your most valuable customers. This series has been recorded as part of the launch to our Customer Buying Index, where we codify 10 years of account-based marketing experience and provide a rolling pulse into the enterprise buying cycle. Hosted by me, Alicia Linden, founder and CEO at Momentum ABM. Many of our listeners are interested in how enterprise firms think about transformation and how boards operate in the role of transformation. So today, I'm really thrilled to be joined by Daoshan Hamza, Independent Board Director specialising in transformations and former Director of Transformation at RSA. Good to have you with us, Daoshan.
1: Thank you very much, Alicia.
0: So Daoshan, transformation, big buzzword. They're often seen as really hard to do and take significant investment. How How would you define transformation?
1: I think when we look at transformation, we've got two aspects to it. There's the desired transformation when we look at, certainly in the uncertain times we're living, innovation, disruption, blue ocean strategy, a term that many people use. But to be out there in front, you're transforming the organization from a customer point of view. The reality is very different. The reality of transformation becomes making the business model more fit for purpose, or the true reality managing the expense ratio of a business. So the essence of transformation in terms of innovation, disruption, and forging into new areas, I believe gets lost, both within the decision-making factors that, that are in a business, and organization, and the relationships that we may have with our partners or our vendors. And we, the businesses and organizations, are not being pushed hard enough to form that vision of transformation and what it means for the end user, and how it can better their lives, and obviously better our bottom line.
0: Yeah. So, Dashley, if I'm hearing you correctly, many transformations are started with perhaps this blue ocean kind of big picture, what what could the future look like as an open-ended task, but then a, a narrow down into more of a, how do we drive cost out? And actually, how do we make our business fit for purpose? And sometimes that essence of why the transformation has started gets lost along the way.
1: Absolutely. There's one transformation I worked on which where the project was called LeapFrog. It was unfortunately less about the leap and more about the frog. We moved <laughs> from these this blue ocean leap and transforming the way we do business to let's manage the, the expense of the business. and And this is still valid for a transformation, make the operating model more fit for purpose. Now that makes you more efficient, but it may not be the engine for transformative growth. Or solving the major challenges that your your end customers have.
0: Yeah. And when you're undertaking a transformation, obviously it's you've got the executive teams involved, you've got various boards involved and stakeholders across the business, and you are driving change. In your experience, what's been the the biggest barrier for, for transformation programs to actually land and deliver against their promise?
1: I think the challenge here is the way we operate versus what is needed for transformation. If I take a very simple Very simple framework, a two by two. On one axis, it may work, down to it may not work, call it the x axis. On the y axis, you take rational down to irrational. Many people operate in that top quadrant of rational and it may work. We're trying to build a picture of the future, put a rational business case forward, get it through the various gates in an organization, have finance sign off on it. It becomes a very rational process, and I think the essence of transformation and what it means for the customer is lost. And instead of being transformative, we get some progress. We get some safe, steady progress, the 1%, 2% growth, but not what was in that original desire or vision. And to get that original desire and vision back, just to complete that, you may have to be slightly different, slightly maverick, and even irrational. Because the great leaps that we have seen, certainly in our lifetime, have come from that other quadrant of it may work, but it's irrational. And that's where we say diversity drives innovation. And for transformation, you need these different viewpoints challenging the organisation.
0: Yeah. So real blockers that you're seeing from a a transformation actually delivering against its promise is potentially going through so many layers that (laughs) the innovation, that the brilliant thinking is turned into quite logical, grounded in a lot of detail. Is is that some of the blockers that you've seen? It's a
1: fair surmise and the, the focus on the customer and obviously to be slightly more irrational, the focus on the leap for the customer is lost during that process. So I see that as being one of the biggest barriers.
0: And why why do organisations in your experience typically start a transformation project? Is it the board saying, right, we've got to do something completely radically different? Is it customer led? Is it cost saving led?
1: I mean, if this is a multiple choice question, you've got option D, which is all of the above. Um, because Those three are typically the ways you would have a board. And again, with the given times that we're living in, you would expect boards to have developed their risk matrices and their appetite for risk and be able to plan forward in terms of their function for insight and foresight to go, here are the challenges on the horizon. We may need a program or we may need to better understand the situation. You may have a great marketing function, which is quite, uh, to be quite provocative, rare in the UK that can understand insight and behavior. And elevate those insights and customer impacts to a board level, but marketing, where it generally sits, is generally not well represented at both an exco or board level. So I feel a lot of those insights lost. And then the third area you mentioned correctly, which was more about the expense ratio, is well represented through the finance function and obviously the CFO sitting on the exco and generally the board. And the many board directors that come from a finance background with a focus on audit, risk and finance. So I would say that most transformation has a customer desire, but actually is driven from, I think it was the third one you mentioned, the expense ratio, which is why we lose that customer focus, that client focus in the transformation. And we actually just end up with comfortable, steady state progress.
0: So the most successful transformations that, that you've been part of, have have they always had the customer at the centre?
1: They have. But like I said, there has to be a degree of irrationality, a leap as well, because by virtue of it being a transformation, the customer may not know their needs. I mean, you can't say that all of the innovations we've seen from you know my lifetime of the internet, the mobile and the social media has actually come from detailed customer insight. It was more led through there could be a better way Of doing something that already exists and building a model around it. So there has to be a balance between, you know, the customer focus, of course, the rational focus, and a bit of the irrational, or you know, the the word that we often get mocked for using in business, the magical focus. But you've got to bring the three of those together. And sometimes working with a third party or working with a trusted partner, and it might be your strategic management consultancy, it might be your marketing agencies, it might be your vendors, can actually help because they can take a different view, and if they're brave enough, challenge you.
0: And what role have you seen those third parties take in in large transformations where they've been particularly their values been significant in terms of their contribution?
1: Well, I think the second part of your question is more key here, where their values being significant. Like I said, diversity is innovation. If you get partners who are obviously different to you in terms of the businesses that they may serve and they can bring insights from other unrelated businesses and a culture of challenge and openly challenge the client without fear of repercussion i find that there is a a better result i find that the the decision making process is improved and that the focus on the customer the client and then the end customers is greatly improved by having other people coming into the fray. It's not a one-way decision. It's not a one-way communications process where you're briefing your agency, your consultancy, your vendor. You want to get as much insight from them that can enrich that brief and make it a two-way process, but equally a process where you're continually challenged and the more diverse viewpoints there, the better. And then eventually coming out with you know, the vision and the brief that can take a transformation forward, not just for the expense ratio, but more importantly, to give you that disruptive or innovative model that puts you out there and is truly blue ocean and delights your customers, leading back to shareholder value.
0: Fantastic. Have you seen many third parties deliver against that picture that you've just painted of, of being that thought partner, bringing that stimulus to, to thinking and actually taking that challenging approach to a partnership?
1: I'd love to say yes. I guess there is the, the answer for you and the challenge. The reality and probably more so here in the UK is I haven't seen it. I know when I've gone over and operated in other countries and particularly in the States, I see more of that that trusted partner, that relationship where third parties can be brought in at not just a board level, but at a a managerial level to enhance decision-making or enhance insight, enhance oversight and decision-making. So in the UK, less so. And I think that's one of the challenges we face. And it, it does explain much about how businesses innovate in the UK.
0: see other big differences between UK, US firms or any other countries? I mean, clearly there's there's big cultural differences, but in terms of how they're approaching transformation and, and working with third parties?
1: I think related to this, if you look at the, and another piece of work that we've done, when we look at the makeup of executives in the FTSE 100 versus the DAX in Germany and the S&P 500 in the USA, there is a prevalence of, in the In the S&P 500, the prevalence of CEOs, I think the majority are from a sales and marketing background. In the DAX, they're from more of a technology or an engineering and product background. Whereas in the UK, no surprise here, most of our CEOs have come from a finance background. And it's very interesting when you take that as as a lens and you put it across the partners they may work with and their appetite for risk and their appetite for innovation, as well as their appetite for challenge. I found more of that appetite in the USA, probably slightly more in Germany and less in the UK. That's my view. Interesting. Other aspects of work, but being open to challenge from your partners and having that you say trusted partner status, but trusted partner both ways, that you can be quite challenging towards me and it enhances our relationship seems to be more acceptable in the States than it is here. And I find many partners here are more subservient to the brief that has been given or are fearful of the loss of business.
0: Yeah. What would your advice be to, to vendors, professional services firms who are looking to to become that trusted advisor for for their enterprise clients? So one, one of the data points in our index tells us that very few vendors and third parties make it to that trusted advisor status. Um, and, and clearly a lot of them have an aspiration to get there. What would your two or three recommendations, tips be be for those organizations?
1: I think there are, there are, well, you said two or three, there are definitely two or three areas here. I think one of the things you've spoken about in the, in the research is tailoring a, a C-suite engagement strategy. And when you look at the, the decision makers within that C-suite, it may not, you know, maybe that many of the vendors are speaking to people within marketing. We've got a challenge there because generally the marketing director or the CMO may not be sitting within that senior C-suite category, i.e. on the exco. So then you've got to have a discussion, maybe with technology, definitely with finance, or you talk about professional services firms and certainly the the strategic management consulting firms who have the relationship with the chair of the board, the senior independent director or other board members. So there is an engagement strategy that has to include other exco and board members at one level. Then there's another level that says, The vendors should be putting out more content that is provocative and disruptive and doesn't just follow a rational approach. I mean, for example, three months ago, nobody was sitting here saying every single coffee shop in London or across the UK will be closed, every single Primark store would be closed, and their revenue will go from £650 million a month to zero because they don't have a digital shopfront. There's nothing wrong with that, but there's nobody being provocative enough to say, could you imagine this scenario?
0: Yeah. What if?
1: And play out several what-if scenarios. Don't play out the obvious. Digital competition is increasing. Seriously, tell me something I don't know.
0: <laughs> so be be provocative and really think about your engagement strategy across the C-suite. If you, if you're talking to more of the the CMO audience, consider whether they or, or even the CIO audience consider whether the, they they have a seat at the exco.
1: So it's engagement across the C-suite and what the like i said strategic management consultancies do well i'm not going to name drop here but they can engage at a board level so when those discussions are held at a board it can be quickly dropped down to the to the exco yeah. and then executed from there on but equally have provocative content to get some of the more junior folk engaged so the conversations go up and it's harder for the conversations to go up obviously given the culture of british organizations than they are art flow down but i think Those are the two areas where vendors need to be smarter. As you said, engagement strategy, board and C-suite, and then provocative content going up.
0: Yeah. I mean, many of our clients, they have a foothold in the IT organization uh, or the department within the enterprise, and they don't have as much coverage in the lines of business or vice versa. I'm thinking through some of the roles that you've been involved in. What's that dynamic looked like when you've sat on the the, the business side to drive through a strategic transformation and and you've worked with IT. Have IT come in much later in that cycle where you have a solution requirement or have they come in earlier as as a thought partner?
1: I think sometimes, I think oftentimes you see it coming in early. And the reason I say that outside in is that we generally look at IT or technology for what it can do, as opposed to what it ought to do for our customers. And just taking that statement, if the focus is on what the technology can do, we're not really solving our customers or their end users pain points. We like to think we are, but we're not necessarily. So I think it starts off early, but with a wrong focus. And we certainly don't play out many of the what-if scenarios, because some of those what-if scenarios are, are completely irrational. For example, the time we're living at the moment, and I know this is cliche, exceptional. But for those companies that can play out certain what-if scenarios, and if they can focus on technology solving the problems that the end users have, I think you've got a more engaging conversation at all levels. And remember, the vast majority of organizations, you know, here in the UK, we have data to show this, will say, I think the data I have here is over 90% customer focused. Well, it's easy to say it. But when you push those organisations for evidence, you do not see the customer folks at a board level and the customer programmes are a fraction of the 90%. So there's a huge gap. And that's a challenge many of these firms will face.
0: Yeah, particularly as they're rapidly thinking about how, how they innovate. And you, you touched on, Dashan just there with some of the, the change that you're seeing. A lot of enterprise firms are looking for rapid ROI. They're looking for a short term view of as opposed to a three or five year cycle to get their returns on investment, particularly right now. Is it actually possible to run a transformation program of any kind and drive out a return on investment in that short term period? What what's your perspective?
1: I think the reality is the way we do that, we we go back to a leapfrog as a term, is you focus on the the frog and you cut out expense and you declare that you know quickly and you can show the effect of cutting out expense from the bottom line. The the innovation process and even the decision-making process. I think one point that was interesting in your, your data was, I mean, one of the findings is moving at pace for the customer cycle, customer's ratio cycle, and over 50% expected it to take between zero and six months versus the actual, which was, I think 7%. So there's a massive gap there of expectation and reality, even in your data. So when you extend that in terms of the work that you have to do coming into that cycle, and then obviously the work that you do come out of the cycle, you're not looking at a you know a quarter by quarter reporting cycle you're looking at a period that's going to take 12 plus months, you're on a two to three year horizon. And obviously customers could move on. We then come back to the culture and mindset. Are there things that could rapidly test, you know, the digital mindset of being more agile? Can we quickly test and learn, test and and fail small scale so we can hone that innovation cycle? And that's slightly different because that comes down to the way we actually implement and the culture of firm.
0: Got it. So a lot of it is about culture, mindset, getting that right, and then building from there. Your data
1: illustrates that perfectly in terms of expectation, I think, please correct me if I'm wrong, of 50 plus percent of more to six months, but an actual of seven, and I repeat, seven percent in that time frame.
0: Conversations are definitely shifting, particularly at the enterprise level, and and it sounds like you're seeing a lot of this in the boards that you're involved in, where organisations are Almost at risk averse, whilst whilst they may be more risk aware, and they're not jumping into bed with new shiny vendors. They're not looking at the, the next the next wave of technology. They're, they're trying to double down and use what they have. Partner with their their existing um, suppliers. What what's your take on that? What are you seeing?
1: I think that's going to slightly change now, and I th- I, I would hope that the vendors can give us greater confidence and trust. And, and we know that from what's going on in the world at the moment customers are looking for confidence and trust from the most basic levels all the way up to their higher needs but to give us more confidence and trust and remember one thing that behavior itself has a value attached to it and if you can show that the the products that you are offering have a an impact on the end user where behavior is enhanced or changed and there's a value attached to it built on confidence and trust you're going to have a better conversation with with us or with me and move forward It's it's a conversation where you have true partnership status you don't just understand my business and my cost drivers you understand my end users and delighting those end users and you're able to bring examples from maybe other industries where you've achieved that or where your products may have enhanced that and apply it into my industry if you're going to bring me examples from my own industry I know that everybody else is doing it.
0: (laughs) And you're already talking to them and connected with them.
1: And it's not going to be transformative. That's just, we go back to that quadrant I drew out. That's just going to be marginal. You know, if I want to learn about customer service in in finance and banking, don't give me an example from another bank unless it's completely off the wall. You know, who does customer service really well? Maybe Disneyland, you know, or Mickey Mouse does. I'd welcome that insight.
0: (laughs) Think Blue Ocean.
1: Yeah, it is. And that's how you're talking about trust and risk. You're still talking to me about customer service, but, you you know, you say Mickey Mouse, you smile. It's very easy. But you're giving me an example where I know service is absolutely fantastic. Some of that may be cultural. Some of it may be down to the systems they have in play that facilitate that. So challenge me and push my thinking.
0: Yeah, part of it could also be organisation culture. Because I think when you look at some of the the brands that you've you've worked in, you know that not only have they talked about the regional differences of UK versus US, that there also seems to be quite a a, a difference in whether organisations are quite hierarchical, or whether they've got distributed empowerment, and that drives a different type of thinking. Yeah, you know, the, the hierarchical organisations tend to stay in that. Um, Where can we cost cut? Where can we make marginal gains versus the the blue sky thinking?
1: But again, as a trusted partner, you have that comfort, you have that relationship where you can challenge me, where you can bring in examples on my challenge. And like I said, if it's from my industry, yes, I'll welcome it because it's known. But if you can bring me examples where you've worked on similar challenges and it's been transformative elsewhere, I'm going to probably learn more. By taking that to pieces here, and it'll probably build—I have to say—probably build the relationship between us. And I think that is why there are so few companies getting to that trusted, you know, trusted partner status or trusted vendor status, um, or the ultimate being preferred, because everybody is fighting. We've used the cliches of blue ocean a lot here, but everybody's fighting <laughs> in that red ocean. Yeah, they're all the same, and if you want transformation i need you to be different especially now
0: yeah to me it sounds like you're also saying that it's got to be a value exchange it, those those vendors those partners have to come with something and it's not just a a me too player we've done the same thing somewhere Correct. else it's that that the thought that they're bringing and, and actually steeping it in insight with understanding your own customers and the, the backdrop that you're operating in so so thinking through doshan some of the um, partners that have worked with you in in those enterprise grade transformations, what what did they do differently from the off that made you select them as, as partners and partner with them as, as part of a large program?
1: I think it comes down well, if I look at the history, there is absolute confidence in their customer solution. I deliberately say customer solution. So, absolute confidence in the performance of what they're bringing to the table, but being steeped in customer insight. And here's a magical bit, and I have mentioned this a couple of times already. But scenario played. Imagine if, what happens if your customers, if a competitor does this? And just having that little bit of risk, let's say, and just fear even, that you go from the core of their performance into they actually understand my business. You know, as a business leader, as a PL owner, you're building strategies over, you know, a three, five, we say 10, but really, three five-year horizon and when a partner says imagine if and not just here's the package we've got (laughs) yeah it becomes a better conversation and it enables you to move forward so you've you've got the basics covered the performance of your solution meets my needs today and you're giving me a bit of comfort for the future
0: yeah it sounds like quite an effective way to also challenge thinking as opposed to being confrontational (laughs) with sometimes when you think about the challenger sale and that approach to customers saying let's be provocative and that can put some customers on the back foot but actually taking a what-if scenario to their customers not only shows that you've done research but it's painting the art of the possible what's the top of the mountain look like for, for those customers
1: interesting again it's one of the insights you in your research you say about truly understanding customers businesses yes you can look through a balance sheet you can interview various folk and you can get an understanding of the business today. But what I'd like to get from you and where the, certainly the strategic management consulting firms play well, and some of the big four have been trying to play in the area is to move the conversation on, go exactly as you settle, it's your what if, and to build that vision of the future, so, you truly understand my business and where the business is going or could be going. and I mean that that insight is absolutely critical. It's not just a here and now, that should be a hygiene factor yeah. if we're having a conversation.
0: And what about vendor sales teams or third party sales teams? how How did they interact with you? did it Did it feel like you were being sold to, or were you part of a were they more uh, in an advisory capacity? what What did that engagement cycle look like?
1: Well, in many times a former, um, and those were very short conversations, you probably imagine. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it happens. And it's fine because people have to make a living. And you have to understand that. And I, I'm being slightly flippant here. But you can understand that. That what we just spoke about, truly understanding a customer's business, is not just giving me the here and now. Like I said, is you're not putting the fear of God into me, but you're just playing some scenarios out, which uh, I can understand from my customers today and how it could be optimistic or could be more challenging, but you've thought about it for me. You've done my job, which sounds awful to say, but you've done my job by thinking about the challenges that will keep me awake at night when I present to my ex or to my board and you're making my job easier. So generally, you have a conversation where it's very solution-focused and that, like I said, must be hygiene. I want you to understand my business and to play various scenarios out, you know, whether it's corporate customers or individual customers, and to really bring that focus back to the customer. And then we can have the conversations across the C-suite that engage, you know, how do we make this happen? Operations, technology, um, CIO, do we have everything in play here, CFO, you know, this is a, what our NPV could be looking like after our three year horizon. And you can just bring that together collectively, because as your research shows, there are a lot more people involved in the buying decision now. And if we can proactively have that conversation on the front foot, rather than having the conversations as we go through gates, where culturally people could be looking to keep gates closed, you've got a more expansive conversation.
0: And from a I- a process perspective. Those vendors that have been successful, it sounds like there's almost an alignment across the, the the board. They they've been on the front foot, as you say, to to go out of their way to engage multiple stakeholders, as opposed to waiting to be asked for the next thing. From a, a brand kind of marketing perspective, you, you understand brand pretty well, um, given some of your your background. Uh, how did you respond or engage with particular third parties as as you've embarked on transformations or led transformations yourself? What what's that done from a perception standpoint, or, or who you choose to work work with?
1: I think there are two parts to that question. You started off in the brand, and then moved on to the the working aspect. And the two words are critical brand if we look at what a brand is you know it's not necessarily the, the shiny corporate brochures or even the values the brand a brand can be defined this is P&G's it's a p and g's definition where i started my career very simply a brand is a promise delivered so with the vendors what is your promise and how well do you deliver it now that could be the the core aspects of performance the hygiene factors move on or the The greater factors of understand the customer and playing out some what if scenarios, but the aspect of delivery then comes down to the second part of your question, which is really the relationship. And how well are you listening to me? How well are you anticipating me, making my job easier, addressing my pain points? And then how well are you helping, particularly in today's world, with the content that I can take to various stakeholders in the business, use across the various gates and presentations and conversations that I'm gonna have to bring the business together to make that capital and operational expenditure decisions as swiftly as possible for the benefit of our customers. So brand, the promise delivered and relationship becomes critical.
0: Yeah, that's a brilliant way of looking at it. I think from our, our perspective, we see so many clients where they have huge, huge brands, huge global brands that um, are, are clearly have a perception in the market, and then the the, the reality of ha- the conversations in the field can be that there can be a disconnect. And it's how do you reduce that disconnect and make sure that the the brand promise is meaningful for every customer? And where you have a long standing relationship with a customer, perhaps you've had two or three projects that haven't gone as well. You've had um, a A couple of high impact projects. How do you make sure that that's still grounded in reality, and it isn't isn't just a a lofty promise?
1: No, and that's where another one of your findings. You know, sometimes the simplicity of your findings really help here. I mean, you talk about communications and being able to communicate in a very clear, helpful language. It's obvious, but how many people actually do that? How many brochures do you get? How many calls do you get? How many meetings do you sit through? And and you're thinking, excuse me, yeah you're saying the obvious because it's not happening so come back to the 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 definition of a brand a promise delivered you can articulate your promise but how are you delivering it how are you making it simple for me to understand how is it helpful for me if you're building a picture of the future and those what-if scenarios how have you clearly articulated that that i can explain it so the penny drops quickly to whether it's the cfo a board director or anybody else you know it really is that simple so your findings do resonate
0: yeah, thank you, Dashan. Really insightful. From a fast forward perspective, let us uh, we, we all like to predict the future, but looking at the the trend line of how transformations have changed um, over the time that you've been involved in them um, and, and where we are today in, in terms of the pace of industries and how they're shifting at a faster rate than they have done so in the past, what, what do you think we're going to see in terms of organisations approaching transformations? Do you think we'll see more blue sky thinking? Do you think we'll see more focus on the bottom line reductions? What, what's what's your take
1: obviously what i'd like to see is exactly what you articulated and that's my natural comfort zone now i can say that from a position of privilege but it's really i would love to see that because the the examples we've given in terms of you look at the, the global 500 you know the largest companies we've seen the economic center of gravity i think from the 1980s which sat somewhere in the atlantic ocean i.e between the usa and europe has now shifted Um, some great research by the development school of economics that economic center of gravity in over just over 40 years has shifted from somewhere in the north atlantic ocean to the border of india and china that says a lot about growth opportunities and what's happening in the world and how we serve how we view customers and service them the second thing is you know the it's quite flippant when i talked about google being a large number amazon being a place i wanted to visit and an apple keeping doctor at bay how (laughs) certain companies meant something different again only 20 to 30 years ago versus where they are today and you wouldn't say many of those companies were very traditional rational left brain in the way they were so in terms of fast forward what i'd like to see and certainly what i think the current situation we're in which is You know, cliche city of unbelievable, unprecedented, unlike anything we've seen, even after, you know, the Second World War. I've spoken to a number of 80 80 plus year old folk that just say this to me, that sense of optimism they had after the war is not there at the moment after this current pandemic. I would like to see organisations truly embrace difference step out of their comfort zones and a, and a maxim i use a lot is become comfortable with the uncomfortable and be absolutely uncomfortable with the comfortable because then we're going to start stepping out of those comfort zones we'll step out of the red ocean with a customer lens and understanding some of the second order problems that business society is facing We'll take a more open approach to innovation, disruption, transformation, blue ocean strategy. Aided by various partners, hopefully, we'd have comfort in a degree of uncertainty and a degree of risk and a degree of irrationality that will truly benefit the end users. For me, that's a magical quadrant, and that's where I'd like to see organisations moving into with partners by their side.
0: Fantastic. I think you've summed that up brilliantly and you've given me a completely fresh perspective on transformation and, and how organisations should think about it. So thank you so much for joining us today, Daoshan.
1: Thank you. It's a concept we call creative consulting and we'd love to see that as a way forward. So thank you very much for your time and insights. Thank you, Daoshan.
0: This podcast is brought to you by Momentum ABM, the account-based marketing consultancy, transforming how sales and marketing teams grow their biggest customers. You can learn more at MomentumABM.com